Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the My First Gig podcast. Whoa. Sharing stories of first gigs and shows. Comedians sharing their memories. The fun and entertaining, exciting and crazy. With Dwayne Dugan as your host. It's the My First Gig podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the My First Gig podcast. My name is Dwayne Dugan. Come on in, sit down, wash your hands first. Eh? This is the uh, probably the safest public gathering that we can have in these scary times. Well, let's all sit down, gather around, listen to my first gig podcast, and you don't actually have to come into contact with anybody at all. If you're listening to this in the future, which most of you technically are, but if you're listening to us after March 2020, then we are currently in the middle of what I can only describe as a horror movie, where this virus is just sweeping the world and basically killing everybody and we're just kind of waiting going ha 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 wash your hands isn't it so funny that we have to wash our hands remember when we didn't have to wash our hands everything's so funny we're all going to die very soon i shouldn't have to describe what it is if you're listening to this after march 2020 and you don't know what the coronavirus was then you are probably like a new person a baby turn off the podcast it's definitely irrelevant, even though this was recorded like two years ago. It's irrelevant. Go away. Guys, thank you for coming back. Uh, we, I missed last week. The reason that all these podcasts are like really, really old is because I was afraid of not having enough and then missing a week. And I lasted eight weeks before I missed a week, even though there's like 30 more recorded. Moved house. My stuff was in boxes. That's a lie. The stuff I needed, I knew exactly where it was. I just kind of ran out of time. Moved house on the Friday. Went down visiting friends on the Saturday. That basically didn't end till the Tuesday. Then I got home and I had a big show on the Tuesday with a bit of prep beforehand. And all of a sudden it was Wednesday. And I was just like, oh, this is late. And then by the time that it was going to get out, it was going to be Thursday. So I thought, let's not put it out on Thursday. Keep it Wednesday. Just push it back a week. And now here I am, half past four on the Tuesday. And I'm only doing this now. It's like, I could have done this a week ago. Even with two weeks prep, still leave it to the last minute. But thank you for coming back. Hopefully you didn't miss me too much last week. If you did, hopefully you went back and listened to some old episodes. Before I talk about Kerry Pritchard McLean, the Sean Walsh episode. So yeah, I was worried about the Sean Walsh episode. I probably would have put out earlier because I really did enjoy the chat. He's a great podcast guest, particularly when I put mine out. He'd been on the load in, in the recent weeks. He's just a fun, energetic, like you hear him laugh at things like he's laughing at things and you're like what are you what are you laughing at but like when you're listening you're going oh this is great this is so much fun to listen to but i didn't put it out early because i was worried about the noise in the background and thankfully nobody complained about the noise in the background which is nice yeah i think the chat and the bloody superb editing made it just easy to listen to and it was a fun chat i particularly loved his story about crying in front of comedia before what was technically meant to be his first gig so yeah, if you haven't listened, go back and listen to myfirstgigpod.com. Sean Walsh, 
in the archives along with James A. Cassar, Lahannon, Catherine Bohart, Reg D. Hunter. Loads of people. I've forgotten already. It feels like I've not done this in years. Right. Okay. Kerry Pritchard McLean is one of the Cat Laughs 2018 recordings. There's more of them. I know there's only been nine episodes so far, and yet you're going, was every one of these recorded at the Cat Laughs? Yes, every single one of these was recorded at the Cat Laughs. I recorded 412 episodes at the Cat Laughs. I recorded three elsewhere, and this is one of them. There's a few more coming. Kiri was great. I was living in London at the time. Or was I? Or had they just moved home? I don't know. I had recently been living in London, if I didn't at the time, and had seen her at shows around the place and just really, really enjoyed her. So it was great to sit down. If you haven't seen her live, you might have seen her on the telly. Would I lie to you? Have I got news for you? Rose Battle, 8010 Cats Does Countdown, Comedy Central, etc., etc., etc. She's the co-host of our very own podcast, All Killer No Filler. They were recently here in Dublin. I'm not sure if they did a full tour Maybe they did. Maybe you saw them recently. Maybe that's why you're listening. Maybe you're listening because you just listened to our podcast and you're a fan of hers. If you are, hello, I'm Dwayne. Nice to meet you. Don't shake my hand. But it's a fun chat. But yeah, as I was saying, missed last week because we were moving house. Like, my God, we complained for ages about the size of the room that we lived in, me and my girlfriend, and that, like, it'd be so nice to have room for stuff. What we found out is that we are clearly the best packers of furniture and possessions in the world because in our tiny little room we seem to have enough possessions to fill an entire house like so much stuff and you're you're met when you're moving house if you've done it you'll know yourself you throw out so much and you think right i've thrown out like 16 bin bags of things i should have nothing left and you've got boxes and boxes and suitcases and suitcases and you're like oh you find things that you haven't seen in ages like oh great it's like well look i haven't seen this t-shirt in two years I clearly forgotten that I'd even had it. Do I really need this t-shirt? And you just look at it going, oh no, of course I really want that t-shirt. I'm a big fan of Franz Ferdinand. And like, you've never even seen Franz Ferdinand. You bought it in HMV about 15 years ago. And only now does it fit you because for some reason clothes were just massive back in the day. Just throw it out. Get rid of it. Like that's my advice. Go away and just throw things out this week. Now I didn't do any of this. There's still boxes. We haven't even finished unpacking yet. There's still boxes everywhere. But just clear out. You don't need things. One thing I did get rid of, actually, was, like, toiletries that... Do you know the toiletries that you get for Christmas? The box sets of, like, body wash, face wash, arm wash, foot wash. Got rid of all of them. They're just these generic brands. Like, one of the brands... I hope my mother doesn't listen to this... My mother bought me a box set which was called Man Stuff. And it was like, beard scrub, beard tonic, beard wash. Now, if you are listening, Mum, there is the beard little tonic things, little spray bottles. I use those. They're great. You bought me about six of those. Use them. They're deadly. But there was like the face wash and the face scrub. And the, there, was, there was one thing called Man Soap. It was a block of soap. And I'm just, if it's called Man Soap, I don't trust it. No, thank you. I'm not rubbing that all over my body. And I threw out soaps, and I threw out hand washes. We even threw out our, our toilet brush. Now, in fairness, I don't know why a toilet brush exists. Just think about what a toilet brush is used for, and you just let it sit there for years. Never wash it. Never clean it. Oh, yeah, you lift it up once, and you put a little bit of bleach inside the little carton, and then you close it. That's not okay. There has to be a better way than owning a shitty brush that you just let sit there for ages. And we didn't have a window in our bathroom. But throughout everything, throughout, uh, oh, left behind bacteria wipes, left behind toilet rolls. So out of all the things that threw out, face wash, hand wash, toilet rolls, wipes, 
the only thing that you can walk out and buy today in the world is a toilet brush. And as I've already said, it shouldn't exist. The rest of them, we cannot buy, and I just threw them out or left them to my old housemates. If I miss next week, the virus got me, and I've only got myself to blame. Really leave a good review for this one, because this could be the last one. God, Dwayne was so nice. We liked when he rambled about God knows what at the top of the podcast. Just wishing, wishing that the podcast would start. At least on the other podcast, when it's a little ramble at the top, we know to skip to eight minutes in or nine minutes in. Maybe we should just start with the podcast. Go on, I'll let you go. Here we are. Yeah? You want some podcast? You want some podcast? Well, here's some podcast. Here is my first gig with Kerry Pritchard McLean. Yeah, it's mad. It's it was really lovely. Um, yeah, it was just such a nice thing. I didn't expect it at all. Um, and it's just like, I guess. Uh, when I first got nominated, it was like amazing. I I got nominated for Compare, I think like three years ago and it was such a like big self-esteem boost because like I think most people who do this who aren't absolutely crazy and even the ones that are have big imposter syndrome so I know I wasn't like the best compare but the fact that people thought to put me on a list was a really nice thing because sure. I was like a baby I was still quite well I felt like quite new and then <laughs> yeah I just um it's very like people I think people were a bit mean about me being nominated and I was just really embarrassed then I felt like oh it's what I think I don't deserve to be on here and then winning it I didn't realize until I won them They're like oh this actually means quite a lot because because it's voted for by a mixture of comedians and like the public and I hadn't really like I didn't really plug it I forgot to put it in my mail out <laughs> like I think I put that four hours before it ended I whacked it on my Facebook page I didn't really throw anything behind it. So it was like, oh, people have gone through a list and they think that I'm the best on it. And that's such a nice feeling. Sure, yeah. Whether I agree, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been my pick for either of them. But um, it's nice that other people think that I'm good at what I do. Well, to get, to get both, I think, is very interesting because I notice and trying to juggle both being an act and a compare and trying yeah. to, you know, it's like if you're in one lane for too long, you kind of lose track of the Totally, one. totally. So how do you balance going from one to the other and um, keeping it strong? Well... I've made a conscious effort, like, you got to look at, you know, those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it. So I always look at, like, acts I really like and that they're brilliant, but they got put in the compare box. So I turn down a lot of work. I tend to only compare, compare my own gigs and gigs with people I like sure. or gigs with people who won't let me in unless they're comparing. And that's that's it then. And I kind of just say to the people I know, I'm like, oh, is it all right if I do sets? Because I'm like I'm not. It's not like my sets are shit. I was good at that, but I knew I needed to focus on that. Because you also want to get to the point where you're a headliner, and if you're only working on hosting, you're not working on being a headliner. So um, yeah, I've I've been really kind that all those clubs who supported me have been good enough to put me on doing sets, and yeah, I've 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 worked hard on that side of it as well. But I I love doing both. But the problem is with comparing. Well, comparing right. If I'm working for a a club that I think's difficult or or not well run or a tricky time of year like Christmas I'll always compare over sets because like I think there's almost no situation you can throw me as a compare I won't be able to deal with but in sets it's a bit different because like for instance if the compare's shit and hasn't set the room up and I've got to try and deal with it in my set that's hard. Yeah, it's difficult. Whereas, like with comparing, I'm like, no, no, I'm the captain of the ship. I can, I can 
deal with sort of anything. It's free reign as well. Y- yeah, like- and like set the tone of the, how you want the night to be. Um, so if it's a trickier gig, I'll just compare, but I try and do, I, I prefer doing sets because if I compare too much, I'm not very good at it because, you know, when you're chatting to people, like sometimes I'm just like, I don't give a shit what you do for a living in my head because <laughs> I've compared too much. I lose the love for it. Whereas if I co- the more infrequently I compare, the better I am at There's it. There's only so many times you can hear about people working in marketing. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't give a shit about IT. Sorry. But yeah, so I'm, I'm sparkier if I'm not gigging as much as a compare or a set. So I guess it only gets tighter and tighter. Sometimes I'll not, I'll realize that like, fuck, I haven't done a set or I haven't compared in, like nine gigs or whatever which has probably been you know maybe just getting on for two weeks or something and you're like oh shit have i forgotten how to do this um so you've got to be careful to mix it up during the week as well um but yeah i think all right now is striking a balance would you approach them differently do you think would there be two 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 versions of you going on stage or um no the good thing is it's starting to comparing more uh has given me the confidence to be more myself on stage because like, I found I was more successful at comparing in a shorter time than sets. I was like, oh, but I'm more me when I'm comparing, so I should just be more me in my sets. And like doing shows makes you kind of more you and find your voice on stage. So yeah, I would approach them differently. Because I, I just think when you're doing a set, you're at the mercy of more things. You know, like, like it's mainly other peripheral stuff. Like, whereas like you can totally set the tone or reset the night but you know like if the mic is off when you get to it as a compare that's fine you could acknowledge it in your thing but if you get to the stand in and you're doing a set and the leads wrap around the microphone like that's the first few seconds of you where they've sure, lost yeah. confidence and like you've got to try and win them back it's more difficult but with comparing you've got you know you can use different gears and get to the right point so yeah i just think it's easier to maneuver and deal with like roll with the punches basically when yeah, you're comparing definitely. and it's not like I have a strict script like I'm quite fluid in my sets anyway but I still just think it's a bit more because also the pressure's off a little bit like when you're doing sets you need to get them straight away whereas you're comparing you can kind of you don't need to co- like you can but you don't need to come on and be like huge laughter straight away your f- main job is to admin to set up the night so they know what they want and you can like ease into the funnies a bit whereas the sets you need to be like bam 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 um especially like i mean less so now maybe things are getting a bit more progressive but especially as a girl and like a slightly younger girl like wandering on you know you gotta fucking get in there like and you can't always do that if it's something you know maybe the compo's done a shit job or something's happened as the compo's brought you on that you then have to deal with, you know, whereas if you're comparing, it's just a bit easier to deal with this stuff, I think. Well, let's go back and discuss your first gig now. Do you remember um, your first memory of comedy? Ooh, yeah, I think, um, well, yeah, it was, we would get really excited over Christmas because uh, uh, mum would get a new video of Billy Connolly and we'd all sit around and watch it and I remember just like everyone howling laughing and I remember looking at everyone laughing and crying laughing and being like this is amazing and just like not getting half of it but like being like oh wow look look what this is doing to people I remember being kind of excited by that but yeah I think that's the first thing I remember being really engaged by comedy wise it's a popular answer to Billy Connolly tapes yeah yeah because I mean he's a fucking amazing he's incredible like he's so so brilliant and like 
yeah, it's just tw- twenty years ago. Like that was that was it. Like every, it was everywhere. Yeah, and it's like not even you know because people like intellectually distance themselves from like other big acts like Peter Kay and Michael McIntyre, and they're like Ugh. you know a bit pissy about it if they've got a degree. But like I think Billy Connolly kind of transcends all that bullshit and was just the kind of one big thing other than I guess Lee Evans although he's a bit before Lee Evans obviously but like yeah I remember Billy Connolly just like tears of laughter from everyone and it just being like a spectacle in itself watching people watch him what about a live comedy what was the first live comedy you you see Ah, I think oh I know what it was I went to see how lucky is this so when I went to University of Liverpool which is when I went to uni first time round they had like a comedy club on campus and what they did is um we are clang were on so greg davis emceed steve hall opened marek larwood middled and then the sketch group we are clang which is obviously all three of them closed and it was just like i didn't realize but i was like live comedy is (laughs) amazing but i was being fucking insanely spoiled of course i was uh but yeah it was it was a great gig it was like a really electric and i remember being really thrilled by the idea of stand-up and like what they were doing but I still at that point hadn't put it in my head that it would be something I'd do what did it take to flick that switch I mean this is going to be a really wanky answer but I saw um because when I went to Liverpool I was doing like a normal degree I was doing a BSc in psychology and then I dropped out because I was like I spent all my time doing performance stuff and I'm getting this degree to fall back on uh, and I don't want to do it and it's just slowing me down by three years so I was like, I'm just going to go and fucking do performance stuff. So I went and did that. And in my first year there, I was doing like contemporary theatre practice, which is like live art and like really, really sort of like cutting edge modern stuff. And we went to this national review of live art in Glasgow. So it's all fucking weird shit there. And, you know, like these world famous performance artists doing fucking weird stuff. Nearly everyone's naked. And uh, we went to this one person called Marcia Farquhar. And uh, she she came out, she had like tights on and a bra, knickers and a clothes rack and all these like different clothes hanging on it. And she put the item of clothing on and she taught you through the story of that bit of clothing. And it was packed out in that room and she was so fucking funny. And it was all just stories about, it was a whole show, but like stories about this stuff and like really personal, really charming, sometimes sad, sometimes just like so funny. It's so hilarious, so quick, so charming. And I remember everyone saying afterwards, oh my God, she's like a stand-up. She's so funny. She's like a stand-up. And before that, my idea of a stand-up was a man on stage talking about, you know, just things I kind of expected them to talk about. So it just didn't occur to me that a woman could be like, telling this story I remember she had once a mad fucking tie-dye jacket with kangaroos on her brother who went insane and lives on a commune in Australia sent to her she started telling the story of that and it was so fucking funny and I was like oh it can be that it could be well for a start a woman and talking about really niche unique experiences in her own voice in her own way and people can love it and that's I was like ah okay stand up that's what I want to be then what made you think that it wasn't possible first and foremost for a woman to do it. I guess it's because like you can't be what you can't see and there's fewer women certainly sure. like if we weren't really a Victoria Wood house or a Joe, uh, yeah Joe Brand house 
or Joan Rivers. So I just didn't really see. And also like Victoria Wood, I'm like, oh, she's piano and she does, you know, things like, so like oh, that's not stand up. And I don't think I was even aware of Joan Rivers and Joe Brand. Yeah, I didn't really wasn't aware of when I was growing up either. So I just hadn't seen anything like that. And uh, the uh, like at that comedy club I used to go to in University of Liverpool, that the only comic I'd seen die there, the first time I saw someone die was a chick. So I think I was probably internalised all sorts of misogyny about women not yeah. being funny, even though I knew I was kind of like like people making people laugh or like sketches and stuff like that. Um, I think I was like, oh yeah, that's just what happens when women try and do that, which is not the case, obviously. Thankfully, yes. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just sixty bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How, so how did the first gig come about? Was it in college, in that comedy club? Yeah, sort of. Well, not in that one, but I I went back and played that one recently and it was such a big moment for me. Nice, Being yes. like, ah, oh, this is, it was such a great gig. And I was like, oh, this is the first place I ever saw stand-up. And it was like, a like now I'm on this stage. It felt great. But my first gig, I guess I've kind of got two. So I did a comedy course, first of all. And uh, you do like a little gig at the end sure, of it. Yeah. Like a graduation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a no fucker. So that was my first gig. I don't really remember. Excuse me, I'm going to yawn. <sighs> Sorry, I'm boring myself. Um, <laughs> I don't really remember much about it other than like uh, knowing that this is not what a gig feels like. Of Knowing it was like a sanitized version of a gig. And then I think my first gig, yeah, my first proper gig was everyone who did there were two courses right so a Saturday and a Sunday and I was on the Sunday one and they said at the end of it after we did our showcase thing why don't we all book in to do King Gong which is the comedy store's gong show where you got to get to five minutes and there's like three people in the audience with cards and if they put them up in the air you get kicked off the stage right and it's hard and it's like um unlike the frog and bucket in Manchester which is the other club in Manchester which is like let them find their feet for a little bit they're like 
get them off because they have like 30 yeah whereas like so that's the frogs vibe is like let's see what they've got if they're a bit of a weirdo they might lead a bit longer but they'll be so much more exciting um whereas the king gong is like if they're shit kick them off as quickly as you can and i got a card before i reach the stage yeah of course exactly they said uh, the next exit is irish Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've seen that with ginger people who've driven like four hours. Yeah, it's mad. It's brutal. But that's that selling point, and sure. that's what they want. And um, you know, there's thirty acts, so I get why they rattle through it. Um, so I remember that was my first gig. Wow. And I, I was, I think, it was one of the first on. And uh, yeah, I went on stage, and I just had the like arrogance of thinking I was good, which. Fooled the audience. Yeah, 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 you totally need that, yeah. And then I was sort of getting, I was doing okay. Uh, and then the compere, Mick Ferry, uh, it sort of interrupted me because I said something about going to private school. And because I had this shtick about being, don't worry, I'm ashamed of it. And he said, uh, I've always wondered with girls' private schools, with boys, they they wank on a biscuit. Yeah, the, you know, the biscuit game. And he says, what's it going, girls' schools? And I said something about a pink wafer or something like that. But like, Bantering with him definitely bought me more time in the audience eyes because I could do it. Sure, yeah. And and like they were like, oh, okay, what she got now? And I wasn't great. I wasn't ripping the gig by any stretch. But like, yeah, there was 28 acts on that night and four people got to clap off and I was one of them. So it was, I think there were three people from our course and one other person who sort of fluked it by looking a bit like Jesus. But I remember Bish being like, that was probably unhelpful because I was like, yeah, I'm great. Like, you know, do you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, yeah of course I got to five minutes. Looking like, back now though, first gig, King Gong, five minutes. What, what do you make of it now, looking back? Um, I was not good enough to last. I would have kicked me off. I just didn't have the goods. But, um, I mean, I think I'm really lucky because if I'd have fucking tanked, I probably am too, I, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have the, the self, no, I'm too arrogant. I would have been like, yeah, fuck <laughs> that. I'm not doing that again. It's bullshit. Because I remember I did, I've done this uh, gong show twice there. So I went back and I did it on like a bank holiday. And I remember someone heckled and I slammed them and it was like a stag do on the left-hand side of the room. And there was so many of them and they just were like, they just couldn't deal with it so they were like get her off get chanting and it was so loud I had to like turn my back on that side of the room and like shout into the mic and just do the gig to the other two thirds of the room and I remember I got to the five again and I left her I don't think I even stayed for the clap off I remember phoning my boyfriend at the time and I was like I just did got to the five and I was like I don't I don't think I want to do that again because that's not any of the reasons why I do I had to fight to get like the bare minimum of respect and I'm not saying it's the club at all because I've played it since it's great but like oh that's not why I do this this is not sure, like it's not a it's not a normal gig at all like. no of course not and this is why like when like because I do some I used to teach in my old uni I used to teach stand-up module and I've taught in various other places when they're like either like oh I got a minute at King Kong or they're like yeah I got the five I'm like don't take it seriously either way like winning that loads of times is not the sign of a great comic and getting kicked off quickly isn't the sign of a bad comic like it's just a gig you do and when you think you've learned everything from doing that gig you don't do it again like you know it's great if it gives you progression with a store but it's the hardest club to get into so you're gonna have to they're not gonna book you for 20 minutes off smashing a five sure. like you know you've got to just earn your keep and do your time that's no shortcuts but yeah i that was my first proper 
gig, which I guess is a bit of a baptism of fire. And I'm really, I think I'm really lucky that I got away with I, it. I've I, I seen a lot of people do that as their first gig and shake my head and, you know, a bit amazed, but, you know, kind of going, look, fair play to you. you know, yeah. Kind of... All, like, all me and my mates used to, because I remember going and watching it, my now boyfriend, I saw him do it at the time and I remember thinking he was really funny and this years and years and years ago. And, uh, and I don't think he lasted, but I remember it was just a thing that we all did when we were starting off doing stand up in Manchester. Are oh, you going to go down to King Kong? And some people just go and do it every month and, you know, get that little bit closer, get 40 seconds more or whatever. And it's, you know, part of their training ground. Cause also you are performing to like 400 people. Sure, yeah. And when you start out, like a lot of the gigs are tiny and shit. And sometimes it's just other comedians and, you know, someone who's just, like, nursing a pint and reading a paper. So when you'd be like, oh, I can perform to 400 people who've paid in. And, like, because those rooms, like, I remember Beat the Frog doing, when I first Beat the Frog, like, I think I, that, so that was my third gig was Beat the Frog. And I Beat the Frog then. And that was weird because I got introduced as a man. Uh, and I was, like, dressed out for, ready to go for a night out. I was in, like, some tiny sequin little dress, some little shiny tuxedo jacket huge heels and jason cook was emceeing and he hadn't seen me so i think he just thought as an asian guy like because kiri sometimes people think it is so he was like oh this next guy give him lots of love so <laughs> then i walk up and everyone's like oh i see someone is transitioning uh because i like so overdressed as well so i feasibly looked like a drag queen like so that was weird and like <laughs> bless you Thank weird you. and like eggy but Again, I think that gave me a bit of an edge to get through. So I was just really lucky that I didn't have the tough gigs as early because I wouldn't have been able to take the knocks. I know what I'm like, too arrogant. I like that you say you did a couple of gong shows and you didn't have the tough ones. Yeah. <laughs> to a lot of people, they'd look tough or scary anyway. <laughs> How did you go about writing? Was it, so you went through the course. Yeah. So the... I did a course which, like, um, I... Uh, was good for me because I just didn't know what I think it's a dark art sometimes stand up you don't know where to start and um, whereas that was like oh you should go to this place for a gig and you know this is how you get you set and I think it just helps you almost leapfrog those first really shit four gigs because you know how to start strong finish you know like you know the structure of how to put it together I mean you could probably learn off YouTube or listen to loads of podcasts and it would tell you the same but excuse me and um, we come in every week with like new stuff and that is invaluable and that's something that like I used to there was a gang of us that started doing comedy at the same time we're all still mates now we've got a whatsapp group like an online green room and uh, we used to do a thing at my house called Sunday Club where everyone would come over and I'd cook everyone a roast and we'd just go over our new stuff and it was a way of being like make sure you're always turning out and people chipping in ideas and like I've always emceed new material or like regular gigs all the time because you've got to have new stuff you've got to be writing so yeah I think the more stuff you turn over the better you are which is why writing a new show every year is great because you've got to find an hour of new stuff I'm just I'm just amazed that you all got together for a roast that's yeah yeah oh not like a comedy roast like a delicious roast to eat oh no yeah I'm picturing that oh right that's, <laughs> yeah that's out doing anything I've done <laughs> so yeah so you obviously you had those friends and stuff did you tell other friends and family that you'd started this out at the beginning or did you wait what, a while what stand up no I don't think I um I think it's so I saw other than my mate Faith who I she did a little bit of it she did a course in her uni and I tried to be like come and do this with me come do beat the frog and she was jibbed out and um, I think I just sort of kept it to myself, really. I think um, I think I was probably a bit arrogant in the beginning. I was like, yeah, I think I'm a comedian now. And like, I'd hate someone who did that now. I think I did three gigs 
and then I didn't gig for like a year. So I think I did King Gong, uh, like Laughing Cows, which is a, a female comedy night in Manchester, which is like the, no, I did Laughing Calves, which is for really, really new acts. And then I did uh, Beat the Frog there. And then I think I didn't do anything because I had to go to work for my, my ex-boyfriend. I was working to pay our rent because he'd just gone to uni and they didn't pay him properly, blah, blah, blah. So I couldn't really gig. And then at the start of 2010, I was like, no, this is what I want to do. And I just quit my job and was like, I'll just have to find something that fits in with it because... I was at the Trafford Centre and it's really long days. You couldn't gig, you know, like, because the shifts wouldn't fit in with anything. And I was like, I'm just going to fucking so throw everything out. Three gigs in, a year off, and you just went. Yeah, but I wasn't like, I'm now a comedian. I was like, I know I. You gave up everything else to make this the focus. Yeah, totally. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, right, I want to get. I've always been about targets. So I'm like, okay, I want to get 50 gigs in my first year because that means I'm gigging once a week. And by the end of the first year, I'd done 100 gigs. So. And then it was always like, okay, next year I want to do this many. And I used to have a thing when I went full time. I had like a paper diary and I would have to do, there'd be a tally in the corner each week. And that was how many gigs I'd got. Because I knew if I had four, that meant I was gigging four times a week. So I needed to get four gigs in the diary and you have to keep 50 gigs in the diary at any one time. So I've always been like quite, you know, like to make it more structured and achievable and feel like I'm moving forward because what can be hard about stand-up is like you never know where you are and how you're doing things you know like you're like am I feel like I'm getting better am I so if you have a goal like so silly things like I want my own music I want to I want my own welcome music at the frog like I know I'll have that's a thing for me in my head and then I was like so I got that the next year and every year I have like so I remember being like I want to get nominated for a chortle award for best compare and I had it in my head and that next year I got it and it's just like it was a little thing for me is like I think I'm you know like it's it's about pushing yourself sure yeah because it's you know you you can't do like there's so much you can't control like am I on telly like does so and so think I'm good you know like that whereas if you can go I want to get in doing 20s at the glee then you just make that your focus because I remember when I got like I did I was really lucky I did a a 10 spot with a glee in Cardiff which is Welsh and it was I remember it being on Valentine's Day because I had to stay in this fucking horrible hotel because all the good health sales were gone and it was uh, definitely someone filmed me it was so gross in there and I had like a great gig and then like the next day I was on the train I looked at my emails and they were like we want to book you for 20s and I didn't have a 20 so I was like oh shit and it was just before Edinburgh where I was going to do a split half hour and I was like that was why I was doing that to get a 20 so I just called in all the favors I could and was like, can you let me come and do a 20? You don't have to pay me. Or like to the frog and bucket who've always been amazing to me. I was like, will you let me do those? They did a thing where you would get paid to do the middle to do like a 20. But if they wanted to take a punt on someone who's weird or new, they'd go come and do, you get half the fee, but you do 15 minutes. I was like, can I go and do that? And, and and they were like, yeah, because they've always been great to me. And while I was there, I was like, I'm just going to overrun as much as I can. So I knew I, was, I did 18 and I did a good job. So I was like, well, it's 10% either way. So I still got three weeks to get this two minutes up to, you know, and it was just all about that focus. And yeah, it was nice and everything went well. But I just, it's so hard sometimes to not watch what other people are doing as well. But if you're hitting your own little goals all the time, it doesn't matter whatever the fuck anyone else is doing. Yeah, I like that idea. You set your own goals. You're not... 
Enough. Yeah, got to run your own race because you will go mad. Even now, like I'm quite, I'm so happy how everything's going for me. Like I love my career. Like I love my work. I love the people I get to work with. Couldn't be happier. But every now and then I'll see someone or get something and I'll be like, why have they got that? And I'm like, well, because that's what's right for them. But like you still have like six hours of being like, oh, you know, moaning in your head. And sure, I'm like, yeah. this isn't making you a better comedian. So get out of your brain. That King Kong gig, the first gig, or else if you want to go for the graduation gig, do you remember what your opening joke was? Uh, yes, I do. It's awful. <laughs> uh, I think I would... It would always be about... It would usually happen beforehand, but it was a ginger joke where I said, uh, uh, I think ginger girls are really attractive. I've got loads of respect for anyone who could shave their pubic hair to look a fish finger. Was my opening joke, which is awful. And I used to say, All I've got is a bourbon, and that's just not as good after a hangover, which <laughs> doesn't even really make sense. But like, it was a ginger joke about pubes. And yeah, obviously, it was not my time to shine, uh, but it got a laugh and let me do the rest of it. And then I had some really sort of like, uh, some, this stuff about private school, and I had some really dark stuff in there. Because I think dark like it was weird like I, my sense of humor is naturally very dark and i moved away from that because audiences did not want to hear that from a 23 year old girl who's quite high status and my accent was different then i hadn't lived in manchester as long it was kind of, i guess i was more well spoken so they're like who's this posh little know-it-all cunt telling us about the world and being quite dark with it and not very charming so like you know, style evolves and now a bit more comfortable, I guess it's gone back a bit and it's a bit darker, which is my natural sensibility, I think. When you had that year off and you made the decision to quit your job and give it a go, what what was it that made you give us a full full shot? Was there any I, particular moment or I just knew as soon as I did those three gigs, I was like, Yeah, this is what I should be doing but circumstance like I gotta pay the bills mm. and like I had to pay the bills for both of us. So like there was no choice. I just had to go out and work this job I had. And actually, I had a really great uh, manager at the shop um, who's really brilliant. We're still sort of in, in contact. Um, hi, John. And uh, he used to come over when I'd be on the door, like going, doing great. So he'd be like, hi, you okay there? I'd like, oh, nice day shopping. You know, that bullshit. So I'd be stood there at this job. I fucking hate it. I hated it, right? But he was dead sound. He was a really good boss. He used to come over and he'd talk about Stuart Lee all the time. And we just, he was a big comedy nerd. So we'd just talk about comedy, talk about comedy. And just every time I had that conversation, I was like, what am I doing here? Like, I like talking about the thing I love in a place I hate. So I just knew, sometimes I have to do it where I'm like, I have to make it hard for myself to get to the thing I want to do. So like, I've done that a few times where I just walk away from something where I'm like, nah, this is like, so that's what I did. I was like, handed my notice in and just went and did, did had a little other job. I've always worked a million jobs. Uh, so what happened is January, 2010, handed my notice in, had to work till February. And then I was doing another job as well as a mad scientist. It's called where you dress up in a lab coat and you have a, I'm chemical Kiri and you go and give like fun science lessons to kids so I was doing that so I knew I had a bit of money from that um and then I but I did not have enough to sort of like be getting by and then a sort of job came up in a comedy club uh in about March at the Frog and Bucket it was just like a sat like Saturday girl basically just answering the phone fucking however not much money half I'd say half the money I was on in the other job but I was like oh well I want to be in comedy so I applied for this job and I got it 
And that was a huge thing, seeing how Comedy Club worked. There was an agency that operated from out of it. So I saw they book the club. I saw how people book things. I saw how people deal with clients. I saw how agents work or some agents work. And yeah, it was a real big like eye-opener. And I also got to go down and watch comedy every night. And like I had a little pu- a job in a pub as well, which was like a theatre pub. I deliberately worked there because they had shows on all the time. So I just like threw myself into everything and I was gigging as much as I could. And yeah, it was just like, not for everyone. Some people are like, I was lucky I didn't have kids. I didn't have a mortgage at the time. You know, you can make those rash decisions. But sometimes that's the only way I can force myself to apply myself is to make things tricky. (laughs) Well, fair page, yeah. I don't think many people would take that gamble on themselves, so. But when you're a fucking idiot at 23 and you're like arrogant, you think it's fine. (laughs) Let's go back right before you're called up first time on stage. You're you're there waiting for the the MC's just gone up. Yeah, you know you're next. If you go back and sit down next to yourself, last information. What advice would you give to yourself right before you do your first show? Oh, I mean, now I'd want to say you're not as funny as you think, but that wouldn't help me have a better <laughs> gig. Um, a butterfly effect, then. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I think. Um, do you know what? I was always. I didn't. I didn't have the microphone out the stand, for the first. Uh, maybe like eight months of gigging I would stand with it behind and just talk which is quite standoffish and it was deliberately standoffish and then one day I did a gig where the fucking mic stand wouldn't work so I took the mic out because it was necessity and I was like as soon as I did I was like oh this because <laughs> I, I quite like you know like I'm a bit better when I'm a bit physical mm. and you know I'm a, I'm a lot warmer when I'm not stood behind the mic and I guess I would go take the mic out of the stand I think that was because being sort of like high status, little bit posh, dark jokes, stood behind a microphone, hands on my hips, telling you about the world is like very strong statement. And it could have been, everything would have been a little bit warmer if I just went to them, even physically a bit more. And so I think I would have gone, just take the mic out of the stand, which is such a basic thing. But like, I can see now that it probably would have helped things. (laughs) That was your first gig? Yeah. Great. Thank you very much for that. Oh, you're welcome, mate. There we have it now, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you to Kiri Pritchard-McLean for being such a fantastic guest. If you've had fun, you know what to do. Go on over, leave a review on iTunes, because I think that's like the best way to get people to listen to it. Didn't realise that. Going to start pushing it. Might offer you some incentives next week. Leave a review and I'll buy you a Kit Kat. I never sent that person a chocolate. I think one person answered their favourite chocolate with a whisper which I think they meant whisper, but sure, look, maybe I'll I'll do something. Yeah, little incentives. If you've enjoyed listening to me and you'd like to hear more, then you can follow me uh, home. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Now, follow me at Dwayne Dugan on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Follow the podcast at My First Gig to find out who next week's guest is. The series finale. That's it. Ten episodes in season one. Take a little break. Come back in a few weeks with series two. Okay, guys. Thank you. See you again. Goodbye. Thanks. It's the My First Gig Podcast Whoa.